Members of the Debug Lounge, TDLers, our many Google Plus followers, and my fellow game developers. This episode marks the Debug Log's inaugural State of the Game Dev Union. On today's show, we will be discussing things concerning the current state of the game development industry, as well as what we envision for its future. We outline a few key aspects in this address, if you will, such as why our field of game development is so important to society, and how in this industry we feed off what we've called competition's causal relationship. But most importantly, we discuss all of this with you, the game developer, in mind. Specifically, we attempt to tackle and address where you fit into this evolving and growing industry of game development. We here at the Debug Log believe that the state of the Game Dev Union is strong. And by the end of this episode, we hope that you will too. So without further ado, this is the Debug Log, episode 40. All right, Zach, do a quick freestyle rap. We need outtakes. Go. Yes. I got nothing. My name is Zach. I got monkeys on my back and I'm black in something. What did you say? Did you say he's black? No, I said he's whack. I said he's got monkeys on his back. back. <laughs> and he's black. And he, he don't. And he drinks Jack. Okay, I'm done. You're listening to The Debug Log, a podcast about game development. My name is Obino Parra. I'm Andrew Curry. I'm, I'm Zach Schneider. And I'm Eduardo Castillo Fernandez. <laughs> okay, guys. What happened? Someone got over eager. Anyway, as the title implies, this is about, this episode is about, like, the state of the quote-unquote game dev union. This is similar to, you know, what the president of the United States does, which is State of the Union Address, which basically just he goes through and, you know, talks about where he sees the country, you know, is right now, where he thinks it's going, um, and his, like, overall prospects for the country and where we all fit in in that in the grand scheme of things. This is addressed to the Congress, and I think I'm giving you a little bit too much information, but that's generally what we're going to be doing is just talking about where we see the game dev industry uh, going in the in the future, and you know where we all fit into that. We're United States centric on this show. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So everyone that's outside of the United States, half of our listeners, maybe, exactly, maybe a little lost. But anyway, um, so yeah, so just to get things started, I guess, um, <clears throat> I guess we'll just talk about like I think there's. Um, it's really important to understand the importance of the game dev, you know, industry. Like, what does it mean to be part of it? Um, the importance of the field, importance of like games in general and game developers. Uh, so I guess that's what we'll touch on first is just like the importance of the game develop, uh, game dev industry. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think a lot of game developers out there know this already is just, I mean, cause that's probably why they got into this industry of game development is that, you know, games are like, crucially important. I think they play a, a huge part of, you know, a huge role in society. Um, I think what I wrote here is that, you know, games can be and have been like the society's saving grace in a sense, uh, where they contribute to, you know, entertainment, uh, economy and, you know, education. Um, so I guess, I mean, I think the things were most I guess comfortable and you know knowledgeable of is just games as entertainment, games as casual games. Um, um, so yeah, let's. I mean, if you guys want to just hop in and just say like what you know, 
like how how does games how have games contributed i guess in the casual sense and entertainment sense and how that has like shaped um you know society and guess well it provides jobs that's for one thing <laughs> it's us employed but um, exactly. i mean there's there's also the fact i mean it's kind of a joke but also i mean it maybe not molding society from as much of a cultural standpoint but it has ballooned into an industry that makes up a fair amount of the economy i mean it's surpassed like movies and music and everything it's the you know it is a big money maker now and i think that also indicates that it has like in general a large impact on society that spin rate like represents consumption which represents what you know people are interested and can be affected by so you know i I think from that standpoint that um you know, when you say that they're saving grace, it's like, I guess you could go either way. They they're definitely can sway people, you know, to feel things, want things, you know, maybe think things even. So, you know, I think it's, it has a huge impact that way. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the economy and just like how vital roads played in the economy. Um, and, and well, I guess just taking a step back and like ways like talking about just the ways games have been used, like you said, the, the used in economy, like just for um, like generating, I don't know, generating pleasure, I guess, is what we're used to, like playing Halo is just, you know, it's just entertainment value, just something fun to do, a great pastime that's not like, um, I don't know like you said watching a movie but uh so that you know the 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 different pieces of value that games have brought uh entertainment is one another is um like education uh and games for health and like simulations and trainings that you know a lot of you know the military use games to you know i think we talked about in a previous episode just how they've used it to you know do deployment missions or you know extraction missions so there's a lot of uh you know uses that games have had over the years um and i think that's where you know, it leaves us in an interesting spot as game developers uh, to, you know, we're able to go in different directions with how we build games and what we think about when we think about games. Um, actually, it actually reminds me of, you know, a, a debug lounge uh, interview that we had recently. That's debug lounge, our YouTube series that's coming out July 15th. Shameless plug. Uh, but we talked to another developer there who's actually, you know, utilizing games to promote businesses and promote things in their in their city and in their town, uh, like a festival um, that they had. It's like a, a yearly face annual festival that they got, have going on. So it's like promoting businesses and promoting, you know, events in their city. So that's like another way people have used games to, you know, kind of shape and mold society in a different way. Uh, that people maybe have been, you know, traditionally used to of, you know, approaching games. Yeah. Um, yeah. Since the first caveman hit a rock with a stick, we've had games. <laughs> 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 well, no, but not, I'm being facetious, but not really, because there's a lot of books. There's a book called Homo Ludens, which goes into the effect of, they always call it the academic term for games is play, right? And how that affects and how animals do it, how how important it is to human society throughout the ages they play and that's how you learn so like social skills that's how you learn again like systems thinking that's how you learn all these other things and it's just only recently in the past 40 years that we actually have computers that we can actually put those games in that and that's become the dominant form so that's taken over but it has to do with just play in general and it's a big part of development it's a big part of growing up so it's fun to it's exciting not to be like, you know, seriously, it's exciting to be a part of something that is a, it's a big part of who we are being humans and growing up and learning things. So now these days we just get to, and it's fun in the, the video games are much more 
interesting because we don't have this it's a little bit more low risk with us we can learn stuff in our off time we can do whatever we want you can listen to the debug log and you know yeah. get tips and it's not as you know a daunting thing but i think it's very just as essential as you said for society yeah. in general yeah i think that, yeah, and i think uh, oh go ahead Evan. no go ahead um, i think that um even though it is like a crucial part of the um entertainment industry um it also plays a, a fundamental part in research and guiding some uh, guidelines for different applications and uh, new trends in the technology industry because um, you might see like from five years to, to now then um, more applications are like gamifying their uh, interface so you would see like oh you have this reward for this and you got notifications uh, invite your friends things like that that are usually used in games or applied to other um, sectors of the software development industry and also using yeah. research to make like a certain study uh, more appealing for uh, the target audience like for for um, education um, it's really appealing for kids when they have a, a game to play. So yeah, actually, what was that? The yeah. like talking about research, like folding at home, or I think it was the name of it, where you know they would they actually gave users the protein thing. Yeah, yeah, like folding proteins, and like apparently people are pretty good at like, and I forget the exacts of this, but you know, basically, say you're folding these proteins into shapes, or you're manipulating them somehow, and you know, people are really good at this, so they kind of made a game out of it. But this game was also like teaching them about you know some things about if you rearrange proteins a certain way, you may have X. Y result, you know, instead, and so it was actually faster to have a bunch of people play this and sort of recognize how things fit together than it was to like teach a computer to do it right now. So that was, was kind of an interesting effect, yeah. right? We, yeah, we mention that all the time that because games are so engaging and they kind of click into our brains in such a way that you you'll spend eighty or hundred and eighty hours in Skyrim learning how to level up your blacksmith skill and all this stuff. You're min maxing to hell and back. But yeah. like you're not actually doing stuff with your career, yeah. like. But we there there is a weird disconnect. You know what I mean? There's a disconnect where games like plug into that people want to do work and they want to be rewarded for their work and they want to feel like they're accomplishing something and being a part of something. And we've always said that it's cool if you could harness that energy, you know, and save the world. And that was the first thing that was really neat. It's like, well, one, it helps people learn about that, but also two, it's actually helping. Like you said, the variation and all like just the man hours is way more than a computer can do, and so that that project's pretty incredible. We should link yeah, to that yeah. later on because it's doing it's like living the dream of what we've talked about before. <laughs> yeah, now it's going. Um, I mean, keep talking about the the uh, gamification. A perfect example of that is Snapchat. It uses a score to see um, how much you use a Snapchat. So that's something that um, how they are applying. <coughs> gamification yeah and and oh, are you talking to Zach yeah I was about to say and, and not to mention the the games for health field as well mm -hmm. um, so like for instance what what we do where we work we make we make uh, these I guess uh, like VR games to help people get over social phobias or things like that but it's not just okay <coughs> this is uh, um, a social situation that you're uncomfortable in or this isn't just okay I'm afraid of uh, of being really high up in this building, but it, it's also kind of gamifying that that experience without making breaking the immersion. 
So things like that, um, like guiding a player with lighting, things like that that come from, uh, I guess, the the bigger gaming industry and then come in and to help out uh, games for health. So yeah so i think i think one of the the key takeaways is that i think what we're all like skirting around is just or not skirting around but just basically talking about is just that gamification and how important it is to our field and and how like like andrew said it when you gamify something that may not be you know typically looked at as a fun endeavor or something interesting that you would want to do uh it it helps with with how you're learning something or how you absorb that information uh and so i think that's why it's really interesting it's a really interesting place to be in a place uh interesting field um in that like um when you when people like you you're you're given the opportunity to gamify a lot of different aspects of the society that we live in and people are constantly you know finding new ways to gamify things like um like uh zach was talking about you know games for health or or you know teaching kids and like i said earlier with the the debug lounge person that we interviewed gamifying just a festival or an event or or company uh and there's more ways to do it and then i think that's where it's it's a good thing to look towards is like where can you gamify like where what in this what aspect of our society you know that could you enhance by you know adding that gamification to it uh, i saw just another day on linkedin someone gamified their resume you know it was like a platformer <laughs> no. and you would like jump open up and down and, and see you know how much skill they had in a certain language and then you would go into the water and then it would show their web dev skills so it was like interesting how they gamified their whole resume that's pretty um, cool yeah, so it's like it's just different ways you can use games to, you know, explore new, you know, a- a- avenue or a new aspect of life. Um, so I think that's what's oh, yeah. really important. And, and just in general too, because it's like you're still looking at gamifying things in the real world. And the the, secret, the the good news is that most things in the real world are are gamifiable because they're all systems. Like the world is full of systems, mm-hmm. and that's why it's really important in education. Like I have another shameless plug. I have another podcast called Digital Dads for all the parents out there. And we talked about this before a lot of times. It's related to getting kids into programming because programming is mm-hmm. a version of that too. But games teach lessons in the sense that. Like, you're, everybody played Little League, football or baseball or whatever, but you're not playing that because you're going to be a professional like baseball player. Some kids do. But you're playing that to learn team skills, you know, le- work with people, have a plan, you know, hard work and all that stuff. It's teaching skills and systems and hard work and payoff and all those things to be a good sportsman stuff. And that's the same thing with what games can do in that sense. They can teach uh, sandbox, more, sandbox environments for life. Because, again, like even just being successful mm. in careers and jobs – it's a game, you know, like if you, if you approach a test in school, like a game, like I'm, I'm going to do good on this. I'm going to have fun with it and see what I can do. That's a way better attitude than going to it and like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? You know, I think approaching life as a game and most things are systemized like that anyway. So mm-hmm. I think it's essential for, in kids and education to teach them grit, teach them tenacity, teach them not just what our education system does now teach them oh you have a multiple choice test you got this wrong you got this right a binary but teaches them sandbox thinking you know like programming does teaches them how to have creative solutions to problems and games can and we see that all the time now with all these ipad apps and stuff for i have a five-year-old daughter and, and she does that stuff so it's it's really neat how that's bleeding in we as programmers do that on a daily basis but how mm-hmm. Just in a game, people can also get the benefit of that system's like uh, creative problem-solving skills, and they can use that just playing a regular game. So I think that's super cool. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I think yeah, like we've I think we've covered is just how important it is that you know to be in this field and see the different 
basically the the web that it has cast on our society and it's getting you know struggling into almost every aspect of our lives which is really you know a really good thing for game developers uh to realize and and keep in the forefront of their minds basically what um, you want to say the theme of this show is that we're heroes yeah That's what really yes is. exactly game developers are heroes we make sacrifices and we, we are just are dedicating ourselves of the world. yeah <laughs> cool. So I guess the next the next aspect of you know our union uh, address is that uh, it's important to understand as game developers and, and uh, participants in this industry that you know we in this industry we have like um, what I mentioned wrote, wrote here is just you know the competitions you know causal causal relationship that uh, that exists in this industry and that's like a causal relationship is like the cause and effect of of any you know, two things dynamic. Um, but yeah, there's the causal relationship of, you know, the games themselves. And there's also the causal relationships of game developers slash studios that help drive our industry. And I think, I think that is the case for a lot of industries. Uh, but it, you know, for, as a game developer, I'm sure you all realize like how, how much it is at the forefront of our, our industry is how it really drives what we produce and what we inspire, aspire to produce. Um, as far as games go, uh, and the content, or even even hardware, um, like as uh, actually in the advent of, or with the the recent <laughs> passing of not passing, that sounds morbid, but E three, yeah, <laughs> it sounded like it died. But yeah, after that conference, it was it was interesting realizing like how you know that competition aspect of games and, and developers all around the world. Um, just speaking mainly over like uh, you know Xboxes. Uh, like we said in our last episode, their new announcement of the Scorpio uh, system, uh, uh, you know, set to come out next year. But just like that, that constant battle that they've had with, you know, PS PlayStation with uh, Nintendo, of. I guess. Yeah, but just that constant like driving force that you have someone basically pushing you further even with you know oculus and and the vive and uh google daydream the whole vr ar um push that people are like constantly trying to you know improve their their platform in one way or another um and that like i said it goes just from hardware like it does with hardware it does the same with software um and the games that we create you know we've we've had we talked about frogger and the clones the many clones that have come after it like crossy road uh, we've talked about like flappy bird cross clash of clans rainbow six call of duty halos all those first person shooters uh or uh, war games that we've talked about and just like how people um i let me i guess this the main point here is just that this industry has like an innovate slash inspire, you know, dynamic uh, with their game developers and the industry. So where, you know, one person is, you know, steps out and tries to innovate on something like uh, Ryan talked about in his episode about the FPS and the evolution of it. Um, you know how they inspire, innovated on, you know, the first person shooter genre uh, and, you know, moving from two point. 5D to 3D, and then how people were able to take that code since it was eventually released, um, and you know iterate on it and mod and improve that whole platform to to make it become essentially what it is today is just so much iteration on a concept that someone innovated on, uh, and I think the same thing is going to happen with you know these VR headsets and uh, it's already happening with VR headsets and AR headsets so. So I kind of yeah. rambled on for a while, and I was. <laughs> <laughs> you guys want to hop in and like yeah. it's just as far as like the competition and. 
No, I, I think you're. I think you're right. It's like the, you know, a lot of our industry has been like sort of standing on the shoulders of giants, but it's it's also a motivating factor too. And uh, you know, I I you know I think that's a very healthy thing. You know, to a degree. I mean, you, you don't want to get this just you know some sort of asshole battle about things, but certainly that that healthy notion of competition to try to one up or what if the other person and get a little bit of an edge or just try you know try something new is pretty awesome. Yeah, and competition, like, it's great for any field because that makes, you know, people actually try and not just sit on their <laughs> laurels. And, and it, but it's, it's kind of it's, the, the thing that sucks about it for being, I guess, a normal consumer might not care, but being game developers and being into this stuff, we want to try everything. And back when we were kids, and, you know, this is a little bit older for Ryan, <laughs> you'd have, but even just throughout the 90s, how many big games, this is works for the movie industry too, but how many big games would come out? And you're like, yeah, four or five huge games, you'd play all of them. Because you could. Mm-hmm. And now it's just like <laughs> there are universes upon universes with each new game. And the games yeah. that come out, especially as we move toward like a more multiplayer social environment, you know, you have your Overwatches and Battleborn type games. It's like that, just that one game will take all your time. You know, if you play World of Warcraft, that'll take all your time. You don't have time to play other games. And so, like, in a 10, 15 years ago, Battleborn comes out. That's like the most crazy, awesome, epic game ever. But now it's just going to get buried by Overwatch. So it's mm-hmm. crazy to think about. It sucks for those dev teams because, I mean, it's weird to think you can spend, you know, tens to $100 million. And yeah, people thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the bar gets raised. I mean, I guess that's still good in the end for the consumer. But as a game developer, if you're looking at that and also getting into playing with those larger stakes and much like bigger amounts of money it gets a little dicey and scary in this world yeah no you're, you're right mm-hmm. and it's, it's an interesting point how like the competition can help drive but it, it can also like you said bury you i saw somebody wrote an article recently talking about like why did battleborn try to basically challenge blizzard like come out at pretty much the same time as it you know and not just like wait around maybe see how it does maybe try to improve on it because now you've got gearbox which is a company that makes great stuff but it's like you're going up against blizzard in the same arena that's that's pretty tough and just the amount of advertising i saw for overwatch versus battleborn was ridiculous i mean every website i went to granted most of them gaming or technology websites you know they were just littered with it but not as much as battleborn so i guess that's sort of the double-edged sword of the competition it you could get better and really have a hit or you know you may just may get drowned out in the noise too because there's also like lawbreakers coming out and like now that's a third one in a field that's you know already getting pretty saturated so right yeah that actually uh leads me to another question which uh is sort of related uh but you know just the the idea of like you know where the indie comes in in this in these grand scheme things where you have people like blizzard versus um who did you say high res i can't remember what oh, you said no you said gearbox i just messed it up but anyway just like where does the indie developer where's just someone that you know and i think the, oh, another thing we didn't i didn't quite mention here but it's just how technology uh, you know, as you're getting that more and more competition and people are getting buried, it's it's due due to the fact that technology has improved uh, to the point where it's easier and, and quicker uh, and a lot more, a lot less expensive to iterate on a, a game or, you know, build out a game. So, uh, you know, when you're trying to deal or battle against basically battle against these huge corporations that have loads of funding, loads of time um, uh, where you may be just an indie. Um and just like where do you fit into the to that grand scheme of like where do you find a place where do you 
how do you not get buried? Um, which I think it's impossible to answer in this <laughs> this uh, podcast. And I think uh, over the course of a lot of our previous podcasts, we've kind of you know chipped away on that that question. Uh, but yeah, I think that's just a discussion that we need to have uh, during this podcast. Just like where do indie developers fit in? Um, well, I think I mean I think they fit in a lot closer to even the triple A's than they ever used to. I mean, you know, it's like the availability right. of like platforms like uh, Unity or Unreal Engine, and then the ability of those to be like distributed across multiple platforms, and especially mobile platforms. You know, it gives that indie developer like a lot of a lot of the same power, at least as far as creating and distribution that the big companies have. Now, granted, there's still the whole manpower and technical expertise and all that. But, I mean, if you take it back to, you know, say, the 80s and Nintendo or something like that, there is almost no way, like, some homebrew guy was just going to sit there, you know, code up a game, get it, you know, approved for distribution on, like, Nintendo or Atari, put on a cartridge and send out the door. You know, it was just that that overhead there is just way too high. But, you know, now and, you know, nowadays you could have somebody who, like, maybe thought up some cool game mechanic or had this cool D&D campaign idea in their head for the longest time. It's like now they can actually download something like Unreal or Unity and maybe like execute on this and get it out to the public, you know, and then maybe they think that, hey, this little campaign you made up is really fun. We'd love to see more of this. Now all of a sudden there's a Kickstarter for funding and you've got a little demo and, you know, there's just like, I feel like, you know, the indie is, I mean, and look at how many is in like one of the best positions they've ever been in and let me look at just, I think the volume Mm -hmm. of indie games nowadays it just speaks volumes of that, whether it be mobile or, you know, Steam's green light or just, you know, people distributing on their own. So, Yeah, and the Internet's really the thing that changed all that because, I mean, before you had these kind of gatekeepers are saying, well, the only way to make a game, one, you couldn't make that game like you said, Ryan. But two, even if you somehow performed a miracle, <laughs> you'd have to work with publishers and get it into Walmarts and stuff, and you couldn't yeah. do that. And when yeah. they into the internet with Steam, which is right, and like you said, the App Store, it's really like you know, talked about the democratization of game development. That's happened across platforms, and okay, again, you know, you have clutter and noise becomes a problem, but it allows people to make whatever they want to. And like in a world where it was just AAA games, we would have just had more and more <laughs> FPSs, and that's what we get a lot of times. And they're great, they're fine, but you're not going to play all of them. You get kind of tired of them. But this year, I've started to see the. It's neat. Wait, this I, I think it's neat how you see that it's not just about the greatest graphics and the biggest production and all that stuff. A game that looks like an old NES game, but it's this weird RPG, can stand toe-to-toe as somebody's favorite game of the year now. And that's really cool because yeah. I saw that in the GDC Awards this year, that um, Her Story game we talked about as one of our games of the week, the Unity game. It was funny because in the GDC mm-hmm. Award, they won a bunch of... Because the GDC does the Indie IGF Awards and then they do the GDC Awards. And usually in the past, it's like, okay, here's your little bit, you know, your uh, pixel art games, and now we're going to move into the Call of Duty territory. You know, like the kid's table <laughs> yeah. goes home. But <laughs> but her story won Best Narrative in the, the AAA Awards. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was the first time I've seen a big bleeding over of, of other games, of tiny games. It's maybe like one dude. And that's what we saw when we've gone to Unite over the past few years. You have these games that, oh, that's a whole company of 30 people, 40, 50 people. And then mm-hmm. this other one is made by a guy. And that's yeah. neat to see them right there. You know, as colleagues, you know, like vying for the same award. So, well, that's yeah. that's, that's why the, the indies done uh, get buried by these big companies. Like, you have to innovate and be original. So, when right. you have a game exactly. like that, it stands out. But yeah, it's it's also because with the, a lot of these bigger companies, it's a, it's a much bigger investment on their part to right. innovate. 
Whereas the the indie developer, it doesn't take as well. It might still be a big investment on an indie developer's part, but they're they're not employing thirty or forty programmers and a hundred plus artists. Right. So it takes a, a lot less for them to in, uh, innovate than than it does for a bigger company. Yeah, just like any corporation, the more money, let's say, it's like direct relation, the more money gets involved in something, the more risk adverse the people controlling that money get. Yeah, exactly. I think it. It definitely goes back to, uh, you guys should definitely check out our previous episode about AAA versus indie, which we do talk about, like, just those the different dynamics between the two and, and how, you know, you know why the indie does, are, is able to stand toe-to-toe and why they're able to innovate and why, you know, you know the, they can get inspired by some of these big companies, but they're able to, uh, with the technology that we have, innovate and push something out quickly uh, without getting buried under the under the onslaught of, you know, big corporations. Um, So, yeah, I think... Go ahead. I was just going to say another point, too. Just coming from the the standpoint of the developer as a programmer, as a artist or a creator, whatever you are, what's neat about this, too, is that you can actually kind of flow in between both of those worlds as a developer. Because you can make your indie project, and that could get you some fame, but you also, hey, I want to try to work at a AAA developer. You could use that as a resume item. Go work there for a while. Go back to your anything. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's Mm -hmm. not a you're going to work in this company forever. You're going to do this and be a company man, or you're just going to be in your garage. Nowadays, there's a lot of back and forth. And maybe the developer becomes a consultant for AAA companies, which happens a lot more. A lot of game journalists leave like, you know, big publications like IGN or Giant Bomb. They go do just consultancy because they know games. So I, I find, I see a lot of that fluidity happening where it's like, there's opportunities in both fields and you don't have to be, feel like you're stuck. Yeah, they're path. not mutually exclusive. It's not like you can say like right. it's A exclusive or B. You know, it's like no, it's you. You can totally float now, which is great. Because most mm-hmm. people, even if they work in, you know, like all of us know, even if you work at a job and you do it, you also have because those tools are so easy and it's easy to do just as a one man thing, or it's easy to uh, commute. I mean, remotely work with a bunch of people, like we've said before. You can have both. You know, you can work and simultaneously work on all those things. So it's very cool. Oh, I actually, I have, I have a random, like, indie question for you guys. Do you guys think it's easier to make these old retro 8-bit graphic games? Because I feel like I've seen so damn many of those recently. Like, and I don't know, it's like, is it easier to do that, or is that just the thing right now? Is it sort of pixelate everything? I guess that's an alternative uh, for developers that don't have, uh, like, expert designers or something like that to make art. And uh, make it really quick. Yeah, but I still I still feel like that's, yeah, that's then- got to take some effort. To, I don't know. I, it's just uh- no. I think I think it's just yeah. I think it's just an aesthetic thing because now you have these thirty year olds, and actually we might be working on a game like that, Zach and I ah. right now. But <laughs> it, it takes <laughs> it takes. It's just like an aesthetic choice. Like, oh, it'd be fun to do a game like this. It reminds me when I was a kid, the games I used to play. I actually think it's more... Because you see, I don't think it's easier at all. Because yeah. there's games... like We've been looking at some of those games now. There's a game called Hyperlight oh, yeah, Drifter. Yeah. Which is... Mm-hmm. It's an amazing, artistically awesome... It's made in Game Maker, too, which is crazy. But mm-hmm. it's an artistically, like, very impressive game. And it's like... It would have been easier to make 3D models, maybe, <laughs> for that game. But they went all the way because... It's like it just an, I think it's kind of a medium choice. Like I'll use oils or pastels in this one. You yeah. Know? Now it, yeah. I feel like it's just people vacillating in between those different 
styles. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, actually, that's a good question though. Now I'm almost on the fence. Now, I mean, I kind of agree <laughs> to to an extent uh, that they're almost the same as far as difficulty goes. But when I'm thinking about just like the effort or maybe the amount of tools and the available tools that you have as a 3D uh, modeler is less so than you know maybe picking up GIMP or Photoshop. Well, well Photoshop is paid for too, but well, even so just, though, like I think even maybe if it was an economic choice. Mm-hmm. picking that option is not just like oh they had to settle for this it's like oh no that yeah. because, because like minecraft like he settled on that because that's all he could do these weird pixelated textures and stuff but then it mm-hmm. became a look that a billion people have copied mm-hmm. now you know so that's yeah, what yeah. i mean it's like it yeah. can become a thing that's not a detriment that looks like a design choice yeah i, I can see I that agree. definitely yeah. all right sorry that was just something i yeah. wanted to rap about for a second no that's okay <laughs> um so yeah um uh, where are we talking? Just like I guess the indie and where and where they fit in, but um, I guess on the opposite opposite end. But we probably have covered this at a length, I guess too. But just where the the AAA studios fits in, and I think the, what we've noticed, and I think has become almost a trend in in our industry, is this: the AAA studio kind of has been, I guess, quote unquote, stagnant in as far as snap. Yeah, I think I think well, I guess to an extent, I guess. Because there's, I don't know, there's not much innovation. I think, like we said, when they're weighing risk, I guess, uh, and, you know, time investments and, you know, just the investment to make a game, it's, and I think this is understood, I think, for most people, is just that the AAA studio is less, you know, interested in maybe going against the grain because it's not guaranteed, uh, you know, payout. There's there's always someone holding them accountable, so... um, I guess they're more reluctant to, you know, innovate yeah. in a sense. Although they are focusing more on execution because if you see yeah. nowadays games look like almost surreal, like awesome. So mm-hmm. there's like a balance. Well, and there's bigger payouts too because it's just like I said, it's just like the movie industry. That's why you have, I mean, I'm not complaining. You have a bunch of superhero movies and they're really cool sometimes. Not Batman versus yeah. Superman, but the other ones are really cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will hate that movie at every turn when I get a chance. But um, but the studios, they don't make, like in the 70s and 80s, they made all these dramas and stuff. And they're like, yeah, it didn't cost much to make, and it kind of made a little bit more than it cost. And they made a mm-hmm. bunch of those. But now that we have these blockbusters, the potential, if they spend $200 million, but it could make a billion Mm-hmm. Like for, because again, these are all publicly traded companies, and all the stock market, it, it you know, it depends on growth. And yeah, they can make a bunch of indie movies and make for five million and make twenty million, but they can make a hundred million thing and make a billion. That that's a lot bigger margins, and so yeah. they're yeah. trying to go for bigger investments. So if you're a huge company that makes billions of dollars a year or hundreds of millions, you don't care if. Like you don't care if a ten million dollar game made twenty million. That's nothing to you, you know. Yeah, that's. I think that's why it's been like a gradual shift to more games that are like more, uh, you know, pay as you go slash subscription base or slash multiplayer. You know, just more where I can retain my player for longer and not just one off games right. where we had in the past where you know they're trying to get the bigger payout, trying to you know leverage the mmo aspect of games more often than not yeah and i think um, I, th- I think a, a, like you know you mentioned sort of a stagnation i think a lot of that comes from too it's like you've got you know like you said these big studios spending these huge amounts of money and if they're if they're investing say you know a few years of their time say maybe what two to three years on these established working ips i mean that's kind of their safe bet like we said about the money invested and then inversely proportional to you know taking a risk 
you know, I mean, yeah, what are you going to do as like Ubisoft or somebody? It's like, are you just going to throw everything out the window and spend like two or three years and like, again, $200 million <laughs> on something if you don't even know if it's going to work? I mean, at some point you might have to, but, you know, I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, that that's just a very difficult thing for them to do. Because, like, I mean, that's getting, I think, more and more rare. Because you look at people, like, just because of the investment costs, it's like, you know, how many people can mm-hmm. actually pull off something like Rockstar, where you, you wait around for, like, four or five years to release, like, the next Grand Theft Auto. You've sunk, like, at least 100 mil into this. But, you know, you're going to pull back a billion just because you've kind of worked on that formula and you know people love the game. That's, like, the safe thing. But if they went off and made a bunch of like you know random other games like you know table tennis say which they actually did that was kind of weird but um you know it's like <laughs> I, I feel like you know they're just very risk averse to that and i don't blame them because they've they've got a formula or like a process that's working for them so you know you're just right. gonna get more and, and more that's, of and that. that's yeah and that's the thing that's the key point the process works for them because it's not like they're not taking risks and they don't make it. They will make it as long. The reason you have Call of Duties every year because they make a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not like they're like, well, let's try something. Like, why would a company try something different if they were making four hundred million dollar margins on that game? Like, why? Like, I mean, they'll mix it up and sh- like they will, and that's why they will always drive franchises in the ground until they don't. That's why Assassin's Creed finally took a year break because what Unity was like, like it sucked and it had this huge backlash and like. Okay, maybe we need to be smart about this and make so we can keep that you know stoke those fires as it goes along. But yeah. I mean, even if you like hated Call of Duty and you're like, oh, this is so boring, it's the same shit. That's like, yeah, but it's still made a bazillion dollars, right. so they don't care that you hate it. You know? Yeah, yeah, franchise. Yeah, franchises. Madden are, comes out every year. All those games yeah, come out every year, right? Exactly. NBA 2K. Yeah, and I think that that's what those franchises are. I mean, I when I when you say hear the word franchise at least when I do I think of things like you know McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken and you know these little franchises KFC is Kentucky Fried Chicken anymore right KFC whatever anyway but anyway you know you have they they have like the secret sauce they have the Big Mac they have the you know the Kentucky Fried Chicken so that's like their secret sauce just like you know Call of Duty has maybe this awesome you know first person controller that that's core technology they don't want to get away from that that worked and just like with Destiny as well go ahead it was just as a designer that's got to be scary too because you're like well i want to try something different but also it's not because you know like for the corporate people it's like we need to make these profits and i'm worried about my job as an executive but if you're like okay let's use bethesda for example like those fallout games keep coming out and they're based on that same engine and they keep updating it but it's sometimes the the drawback of those games is like it's still kind of the same thing like i wish they'd Mm -hmm. mix it up just a little bit you know right and add just you know, but for them, it's like these gang, games do gangbusters. They get game of the year, and mm-hmm. so it's like as at Todd Howard, who's like their big creative director. It's like if, he, if he's thinking about like I have a whim, I want to try this. It's like but there's <laughs> two, 150 people that work there, so if he knows something's a sure bet, and then his friends and his people that he cares about that work for him, he's gonna like they're gonna you know they're gonna side go towards the ideas that are more like well, that, and that's what it because also like you said the a secret formula in a game industry is rare. Like for all the billions of games that get released, there's only a few that really just go crazy. And if you've hit upon that, it's like, I'm not giving this up. What do you mean? Like we're going to keep doing this as long as we can. Exactly. I think a safe way of thinking about it is like, you know, the indie developer, when you're, when you start as a developer and you start working on a game design, 
and you you know struggle and it takes many iterations sometimes you release the game and nothing comes of it sometimes you release another game and nothing comes of it and then you eventually release the game and then it's like it it hits it strikes gold and i think that's what happens the same it's the same thing happens with you know bigger corporations eventually they get to that point where they've hit that gold mine and it, it's not something you want to shy away from it's like when you hit that gold mine it's not like oh let's iterate and do something completely new again uh because it, it you do fail you do fail often and you know that's a huge investment that a corporation well, would have to and that's the hardest thing is artistically think artistically thinking too because i mean mm-hmm. as being independent and like people that think about games you want to think as you had your own company that you'd say but I'd like to try something different because I mean like the noble artistic thing is to go, that was cool. Yeah. We're going to try something different and blow your mind even more this time. Exactly. And that's yeah. like the ultimate goal, you know, right? Yeah. That's the, that's the apple of Steve Jobs. <laughs> right. Well, that's why, but that's why, you know, I mean, despite him being this total asshole within life, he mm-hmm. was considered a visionary because he did do stuff like that where he took yeah. complete get risk on things that were not proven. But like, but you understand a company like Rovio who has whatever 60 Nokia games they had and they hit Ro- he had Angry Birds, like we are making all Angry Birds games now. You're like, yeah, I get it. We're gonna try to drive that into the ground as much as we can yeah. because, yeah, because you're like, <laughs> it's hard, you know, I don't know. It's like, you, it's hard to know what you would do as a, uh, a CEO of a company. And you're like, well, yeah. it's hard to risk yeah. people's jobs. I mean, that's what it comes well, down to. Well, got, not only that, go ahead, Eduardo. But, Oh, thank you. But not only that, but when you have like, okay, I have my product that people love. I'm going to iterate on it to make it even better. If with the pass of the years, like different generations played your game, so you have a bigger audience. Like, for example, Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat is played by people with 40 years, 30 years, and for kids with 10. So Mm -hmm. it's like you have a bigger audience, so it's more revenue, and you can... Uh, keep innovating in, in different games, but you can keep the one that uh, everybody loves. Yeah, and that's kind of a yeah. funny emergent thing now that you bring it up that, you know, it's like, say, stuff I played in my youth and, like, maybe, you know, people for a while did not experience that. So, like, Doom, the new Doom comes out and all of a sudden you're like, wait, I don't reload and I run around and kill shit really fast? This is kind of fun, you know? It's like, I mean, that's that's <laughs> just what it was when I, you know, I was in, like, high school and college. It was like, yeah, you move fast, you don't reload, you kill a lot of shit. There was, you know, there wasn't this, like, cover-based reloading stuff. Stuff. And, you know, and to me, it's like, this is like, oh, we're going back to that? That's awesome. This is fresh for me. Right, but, yeah. you know, for kids. Yeah, five-year-olds yeah. become 15-year-olds, Exactly. Right? <laughs> they can play yeah. games now. Cool. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, this is, <laughs> this is a great conversation. I think it's almost, I think it's would serve its own episode as well uh but i think just to move on and go to like the latter the latter part of our union address and that is like looking towards the future like what would what do we see this industry becoming what we i mean we've we've kind of talked about what it is and what it's been and what it's you know i guess the foundation it was built on but where do we see it going and i think uh one i guess the perspective i want to take here is like where we see it going and where the indie developer slash studio you know, should be looking at this industry? Like, how should they look at this industry? Uh, for me, I think before, you know, even planning for the future as a developer uh, is you need to first understand, I guess, the current landscape of the, you know, the game de- dev industry that we're in now. And 
think I've mentioned like a lot before. It's just like, you know, with the advent of VR and AR, you know, head hardware coming out, uh, new games coming out in VR and AR. I think that's to me. This, OK, this is again, this is all personal opinion. But to me, I think that's the direction that people are trying to move towards. And, and that's the, the landscape that or the climate that we're in as far as game, this game industry is. Uh, so I think that's where you know, the indie developer or the developer should see themselves and see their games and their products is, you know, how do I maybe cater to this, this new landscape? How do I, you know, how do I innovate now? How do I, you know, approach this game day of industry with that in mind? Um, so yeah, and I, I think, so yeah, I think that kind of describes for me just oh. like the current landscape. Good. Um, I'm kind of like, I approach it from more of like the, uh, I guess, uh, one of the topics that Andrew and I've been talking about recently is like this this retro futurism, and that like um, like what what the past view of the of the future was, right? So if you go and look in these these sci-fi movies that where they have this retro futurism, they have these holograms everywhere. So I like the fact that you brought up VR and AR because I feel mm-hmm. like that's moving in that direction, and I feel like that really would pique people's interest, uh, old and young. You know, see have these see these things that are like AR that are in actually in your environment. So I think that's that's kind of where where our industry might be moving to. Save me, everyone. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I can very much see that for like you know the PC and obviously the console space is going there. I mean, to a degree, the mobile, but I mean, I I don't know. I think there's still a lot to be done. Just like you know, just with the normal mobile games, like there starts to become so many, like so many more and more of those. That um, you know, I I don't think everything is going to end up in VR and AR, but I do think that you know, the, the like the computing power is going to get like so advanced that like you know what you're able to do with the device in your pocket, you know, and how that interacts with the world around you. I think like you know a few years down the road it's going to be interesting to see what you can do with that like maybe it interacts with your glasses in some way you know or maybe you like google glasses maybe not the best example of that but like me i wear glasses and maybe somehow i have a game that interacts with that and overlays things or like you know it just knows like say like project tango from google you know you actually can map out an environment and maybe that environment is now the game you're playing on your phone like so that's your apartment or your office or your something you know i don't know i'm just, I, but i feel like that there's this sort of nebulous thing on the horizon for mobile that might, you know, sort of just change the way you experience games on the go. Gotcha. That's interesting. Talking about VR. He's like, interesting, (laughs) not VR. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Uh, I totally agree with you. I don't think uh, that... VR is gonna take over like really quick or anything like that. They have to iterate in many things like motion sickness. Uh, people were talking about that in in E3 with um, Resident Evil. That okay, the game looks really good, but it made me sick. Like a bunch they of people were complaining about that. The new controllers, yeah. yeah. So they um, just announced the Google Daydream, which is just like this is the first iteration, guys. They they have a uh, a long way to go. And on the other hand, if you think about it, VR and AR uh, are like, you look kind of dumb when you play a VR game when you have that thing in your face. And so <laughs> No, that's just how I naturally look, I, Eduardo. Jeez. Sorry, <laughs> dumber. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like for, for games on the go, that like you were saying, Ryan, where you just want to... Uh, take it out of your pocket in your cell phone and play really quick you don't have to have the cell phone in your face so yeah I, I think that uh, mobile games 
um, are are still to to grow a lot more. And yes, VR is gonna uh, take a good place in the game development industry, but yeah, I mean, um, in VR, we still have to work on it. Yeah, VR and AR are in the. Uh, I mean, they're in their infancy, and you know, it's just great to see how quickly they have evolved so far and again these are just the first consumer models and they're already very impressive and this is further than it's ever gotten before like it's showing my age again it's like coming from like the 80s and early 90s when they were first talking vr the the pieces of shit machines that if you look at them in hindsight they came out i mean these like you know 30 polygon environments with just these bulky ass like sets of heart it's like that was never going to work they, they said it was on the horizon but i mean anybody who's like kind of looking at it be like yeah i don't know like who's going to pay thousands of dollars to put that shit in their home but now with you know with the pc power and the reasonable price points of the units i mean they're like say six to eight hundred dollars but still you know for the the power and the technology of that thing is not that expensive um you know granted it's it, it is a pricing thing but um you know it's i you know it's just going to be interesting to see like the next iterations when and the when the price falls and the hardware gets better and they figure and like game dev starts solving a lot of the problems that these systems have it's like i i think that environment is going to start to like really come into focus and then that's when it's going to get really interesting so yeah i think for the future my 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 take on this is that a couple things one is that um those platforms, I guess as a game developer, just the superficial things that get used to changing platforms, right? Because yeah. before it's like, yeah, I'm settling into PC development or I have eight years of a 360 or a PS3 <laughs> life of that generation. But now it's mm-hmm. like, well, I made a game for this, but now these eight other VR formats are out and now there's AR and now there's weird tap into your brain stuff and now there's like, you yeah. know, it's like, there, there's this, it's not just multiple platforms, it's like multiple input and multiple experiences, which is yeah. crazy. And so that's one thing. But the other thing I think we kind of brought up on the show, which is interesting, what I guess, Obina, you mentioned companies are moving to, and we've talked about this in even our E3 episode, is that, and the, the Xbox, their big tagline was beyond generations, right? Yeah. So there's, they're moving into the thing where Xbox, it's not, not it's like patch 1.2, patch 1.3, you know, that. What it's are, like iOS. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but games are doing that too, because you have, you, because what you said, they're wanting to get to that point where you don't have call of duty 5 call of duty 7 call of duty 8 you have call of duty but now we put out more maps so you have overwatch you have wow was the first big one to do this where this is wow we don't have sequels we add stuff to it or like um minecraft is the big thing too they're not gonna ever put a minecraft 2 out right i don't think it'll just be oh we keep adding stuff to minecraft so it's it might be a a, a world where they're trying to I think we talked about this before, you know, with League of Legends, you know, we started playing that, I mean, we both started playing at the same time, we talked about it, mm-hmm. how that was the first MOBA or game like this I played, because I w- wasn't into MMOs, where you play, it's like, oh, this isn't a game, this is a pastime, you know what I mean? This is mm-hmm. like baseball or playing golf or something, this is something I'll be doing for years if I play this. True. It's not like they're going to come out with League of Legends too. so you move beyond sequels too, where you have, the, at least what some of these companies <clears throat> want to do, like Blizzard... I hell sure they want you to say Overwatch is the game you'll be playing for ten years, and we'll update it. We'll add new maps. We'll, we'll update even because they didn't. Wow, they even updated the models and everything and the look of it too. But it's they're not going to keep doing that sequel thing. They're just going to like you're on board, and we're going to drip feed you the stuff as long as you so keep you getting think, us money. The thing is, um, like for example, what they use Unreal or something like that. Oh, Blizzard yeah, makes their own they're rolling oh, around. They have so if they, if they update, Except for Unity on Hearthstone. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, if they true. update their engine to uh, make games look even better, you think they're not going to upgrade the 
the game. Uh, no, no, they, they, they do that, but they don't. They don't. They didn't come out with World of Warcraft two. They just updated the engine, and you downloaded the patch, and you had an awesome looking, better looking game then. Oh, uh, okay. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah. like, I think that's a big thing too, because, like you said, Avina, too, like people they sink so much money into Assassin's Creed, whatever it is, and it's like, and a lot we've seen that in the game industry where they. Where they hire up and then they fire everybody in the studio after the game comes yeah, out. Yeah, just know. to keep it going. Yeah, yeah, and so now it's like I think what I don't think they prefer that. I think they'd want to have just an ongoing stream of revenue, and it's just like no, we don't have to hype. We can just say, hey, it's a new expansion thing. Hey, it's a new uh, like Division and Destiny are doing too. I, De- mm-hmm. And Destiny, I think that was the plan with Destiny because because they, they launched that and said it's a ten year game, and I really thought yeah, Zach yeah. and I we all talked about it, but and we'd like. Oh, this is just the game, but they fucked up so bad that they're gonna have to put out a Destiny two and say we're starting from here now. Yeah, and now mm-hmm. this will be this will be seven more years of our ten year plan, you know, because mm-hmm. I think that was the intention. They just didn't have a, a good enough base. So yeah, and I think that yeah, like you said, I think they even advertised it as that a like, ten year game, game yeah. that's gonna take yeah a ten year game. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's that's kind of like the climate that we're in is just a lot of there's I think there's a lot of iteration, not more. I, well, I don't, maybe this is relative, but a lot more to me, it feels like more iteration and more things like Andrew's saying, like new iterations of consoles coming out, new control schemes, things that are changing so rapidly. And like uh, we said, kind of heard from E3 is it seems like it's going to be almost a yearly slash bi-yearly thing that we're getting new consoles out. Um, so, it, you know, you're going to be constantly changing things. Um, so I, I think... Um, I think it actually lands the indie developer or the, the just the game developer. I keep saying indie, but the game developer in an interesting place where that's like this is a good time for you to you know this is the good place to innovate. This is the time to you know try to find where you know that sweet spot for VR. Try to find that sweet spot for AI, and I think people are already starting to do that. Where you know they're coming out with a lot of different new games, a lot of AR games coming out, a lot of VR games indie de- from indie developers. Uh, you know that have really hit, hit the uh, you know hit the ground running with the with this uh with the oculus and with you know the vive um so i think that's i think that's where we should be and that's where people should really be looking towards because i think the the fact is like if you do not like understand the current landscape and which is you know this constant iteration this constant involvement uh if you don't understand that then the games that you create the the products that you try to create by the time you complete them they're going to be you know like a moot point people won't really enjoy them or they're not going to fit the the current climate i guess of you know where people stand if that makes sense so oh yeah in the past you had the people they're making a game for this is a ps2 game but hold on now it's ps3 i guess that la- the the last guardian game we talked about it's like a 10 year development cycle so at some point yeah. that was a ps2 game i guess right and then it's like no PS3, and they went the whole length of the PS3 cycle. Mm-hmm. It's like, actually, it's a PS4 game. Hold on. Never mind. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I think yeah. you're going to get those tiny iterations in it. I think it's actually the platform differentiation is a little weird and that makes it more challenging. But just the fact that there's tinier iterations every year makes it, like you said, you can just jump in at any time. Mm-hmm. Word. So, yeah, I think, um, do you guys have anything else you want to add? Because I think that, you know, sums up the state of the game dev union address. Actually, I got one, like, just one more quick thing, I think. Oh, sandbox, here we go. Sandbox, yeah, 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 here we go. Get them up. Sandbox, yeah. you know what I mean? Sandbox, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> game dev um, thinking. <laughs> yeah, just just some of the stuff, I you know, I've been hearing recently. Some of it's from Microsoft, some from Sony, but... You know, trying to maybe explore more sort of cross-platform play as well as, 
I even heard something from Microsoft through there talking about like, you know, maybe, and of course developers would have to support this, but if you buy a game for say the Xbox, then you would automatically get it for like Windows 10. Like you would basically get the two copies, which, you know, I would love that. Cause if I, you know, I sort of pay for the technology and content once in a format, it's like, why can't I play it across my multiple devices? I know money, obviously, but you know, it's like Overwatch. I have it and want to play it with you guys on Xbox, but everybody at work plays it on PC. I'm like level 30 whatever there, and I'm only level 10 here. Stop, ble- stop yeah. bragging it, about your work. Let, let me humble brag. <laughs> I play it at home yeah. with work friends. <laughs> with no friends. But yeah, so it's like it's just it's just a frustrating point with all this technology and like you know cloud saves and you know the ability for backwards compatibility and cross compatibility. It's like you know I really hope to see some movement toward like you know hey at least you know my account data can transfer between these systems and I don't have to redo a bunch of shit. But I mean yeah that is my little soapbox I guess so. No, I think that's actually a really good point yeah. to bring up, too, because I think that's like an interesting place that we haven't really seen a lot of developers go at, because I think that's been like the standard is, you know, when you ask a, a developer, you know, anywhere on the street, you're just like, you know, what, where's your game for? You're like, OK, it's for PC or it's for it's for mobile. But, they, you know, it's not it's never like, you know, well, you know, it's going to be for PC and mobile in the fact that, you know, my players are going to be communicating constantly. You know, it's this game is for everyone, right. you know, so I think that's like a actually a, a very interesting place to try to approach and like say design a game where that's the expectation where people are going to be playing together not just in the mmo sense where there's a lot of people you know connecting via one stream of you know one entry point but it's you know it's made to connect and communicate in many different ways from web you know to their mobile phone to you know on their pc so people are like interacting in so many different ways which is a really interesting place so well, that's like i think that's a, that's like also what i said beyond generations that's beyond platforms too i guess right yeah because yeah. if you think about it it's, it's only been perpetuated by console makers right yeah but it, what happens when everything because that's what people want they want cross play so then i you move into more like a, a DVD player or TV model. Like you can still s- play the same shows on any TV you buy, right? That's it's just true. you're trying to get them with features and technology. So that might be what we're moving into too. I hope so. I really yeah. hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, we're doing that in in uh, different applications. Like for example, Slack. You have Slack for PC, for your cell phone, for a bunch of places. So I think games can do that too, but it's a little bit harder. Yeah. For sure, because there's different like input schemes, yeah, and yeah, you have yeah. to account for all that and spend time. Devi- Even like the UI yeah. that changes across platforms. So. Remember, remember the promise of division. Remember that E3 demo like three oh, years yeah, ago, yeah. where they they had the they had the three or four people playing and having that cheesy dialogue while they're playing it. But then they had a friend who was playing on an iPad as a drone in the game. Yeah, and I was like, that's so cool. And they never did that. I was like, man, that's pretty neat. If yeah, because yeah, most of E3 is lies. I think half the time. Yeah, it's all lies. <laughs> Smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Cool. So, fellow Americans, or and other people, what is the what is the, <laughs> state, what is the state? What is the state of the game dev union, Obina? The state of the union is strong. Thank you. It's strong. Very strong. Very shows much promise. Uh, so yeah, um, I guess you know Angie can tell us about the show that we've got coming on Debug Lounge show, and then oh yeah, we have a new show day. coming out. I guess we're a little bit under a month away from that now. It's going to come out on our one year anniversary, guys. What is the one year anniversary? Is that wood or what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Oh, you um, mean for like no, you know, like the they have like stupid element. Shit. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we need to eat our. Oh, kids. Okay. Did, 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 you, did you save the cake, Zach? I don't know if you did or. 
I, I did not. Okay, sorry. Well, whatever. So July 15th, we're going to launch that and we're kind of launching and rebranding some of the stuff. And actually, just a quick tease, we'll be launching probably maybe a Patreon thing too. So stay tuned for that. But basically, the Debug Lounge is a 15 to 30 minute show and it like features game developers and just game creators of all sorts. I mean, we haven't talked to many people just work at companies, but we want to do that too. But it's people talking about the games they're working on, games they have worked on, and it's just a quick uh, Google Hangout uh, video chat with them, and informal, and it's fun. And we want to encourage everybody, if you see that in the future, join in on those, because don't be scared, because we don't bite. And it's going to be interesting. We're, we're, <laughs> it's been a fun, interesting journey as we've done them, because we've always done this show, and it was awkward at first, and we got better. And now it's like, we're on video. Wait a second. <laughs> I was like, this is very strange doing an intro and, you know, like, it's just, yeah, you can't pick your nose or anything on video. That's, oh, that's hard for me. I, that's hard for me. It's that's hard for yeah. me. Um, so to, the way you get in on those debug lounge shows is you join the debug lounge, which is also our Facebook group. And you can do that. You can search for debug lounge on Facebook, or you can go to our website and join the loop, which is our monthly newsletter. And Eduardo will add you in there. And the Debug Lounge is basically where we hang out every day, where people ask questions. We've had a lot of great interaction on there recently. People ask questions. They share what they're working on. We've had a lot of really cool projects and interesting things that people have shared uh, in the past week, which I have liked. But I also like that it's not just us interacting. Because we, before we were answering questions, and we still do, and we're in there every day. But also everybody's talking to each other and i love seeing the community get bigger and bigger because it becomes this thing that's like oh cool because we selfishly started as a thing to answer our questions <laughs> so we're glad it actually helps other people now too so so just search for that at the debug lounge and check it out um also we are uh we are gonna have a live broadcast of us uh we're gonna stream us playing games so it'll be at least uh one of us every thursday night Zach, yeah. Yeah. At, at least one of us so anyway. i will be there i don't know if anybody else is gonna join me i think we're doing it tomorrow um, night yeah or yeah so thursday past, nights yeah. around um nine eastern standard time uh and to get to that it's twitch.tv backslash the debug log yeah. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned the website already. It's thedebuglog.com. Uh, and anyway, outside of that, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at OBeans. That's O with an H, Beans with a Z. I'm at Andrew underscore Curry. That's C U R R I E. Oh, yeah. I'm at R E Kilgore. K I L G U R E. Sorry, I thought there was somebody before me. But Zach doesn't have it. So. And, and I'm at Eduardo CF1989. The one, Ryan, you do that every time. I know, that's one of my favorite ongoing <laughs> jokes. I've said like two jokes about that every time. I hope you it's horrible. keep doing it. Keep yeah. doing it now. I don't even, no, I don't even think it's a joke. I think you actually <laughs> forget. Yeah, I think you literally just... forget. <laughs> it's like a goldfish. Anyway, all right, we'll see you next time. Bye. See you guys. Peace out. Bye. See ya.